Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message. But hear the word of God as it comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew. As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the, mount, to the town of Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them ahead. Go into the village over there. As soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you're doing, just say the Lord needs them, and he'll immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, tell the people of Israel, look, your king is coming to you. He's humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. Most of the crowds spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession and the people all around were shouting, praise God for the son of David, blessings to the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heaven. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this, they asked. And the crowds replied, it is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. May God add his understanding to this hearing of his word. So Jerusalem probably had 40,000, 50,000 residents, but for the Passover feast, they estimate that some 200,000 people flooded the city. Huge event. And it was on the beginning of Passover, this, the, the Sunday of Passover week, that every year the Romans did a procession from the Western Gate. They processed in, and Pilate, who lived down on the coast, would come into Jerusalem for the festival, and he would have all of his army and the horses and the banners and the bands and all the dancing ladies, all that stuff coming in from the west. So they had this huge procession that they did every year displaying the glory and the power of Rome. And then we have this going on on the east. Up above the Kidron Valley, which is the valley that is right next to the temple, we have this story, this event that occurs, and it's it's a different kind of parade. Jesus sends two of the disciples forward, and he he says that there will be someone there with with a colt for you, the colt of a donkey. Just go and say the master needs it and he'll he'll give it to you. Some say that Jesus planned this ahead of time. I don't think he did. I think it was just one of those Jesus things where they went in and they found this colt and the colt's mom and brought him out. Jesus got on the colt and it had to be a little bit of an older colt because otherwise he couldn't even sit on it. But he sat on this colt, and probably his feet 
almost dragging, if not dragging on the ground, Jesus starts bouncing into Jerusalem, going down into the Kidron Valley and then up toward the temple. And the people saw this, and they knew the symbolism. Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and lowly is he, riding on a donkey, even the colt of a donkey. And so Jesus, in coming into Jerusalem, is actually making a statement about his identity. He is saying, I am the one. I'm the king. I'm the king that Zechariah prophesied. But this is so hard for the people because what really does this mean? So we've got Rome, Rome which took over in the, about maybe 70 years earlier, 80 years earlier, and Rome came in and they were tolerating the, the native religion, the native faith, but at the same time they weren't because the high priest was to be a hereditary office, but Herod, who came in and, and was ruling over the people, removed high priest after high priest, removed seven high priests along the way because he wanted to make sure that whoever was running the temple was operating in collaboration with Rome. So we've got this, this rather uneasy relationship that has taken place between Rome and the temple. And Rome's power is now actually exercised through the temple as long as the temple leadership was operating in compliance with Rome. And the temple leadership knew that if they operated outside of compliance, they had the power of Rome that could come down on them and crush them. And so they were very careful about making sure that everything was just fine. And the temple was charged with the responsibility of keeping peace in Jerusalem during these, these huge celebrations, during the Passover feast or, or the other festivals that happened during the course of the year. And so in from the west comes Pilate, in from the east comes Jesus. But what kind of, is this a counter demonstration? Is this just a, a new political party that is being inaugurated here? Well, that's what they think. They cry out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They, they cut the branches and they lay them on the ground, which was a symbol of victory. That's what they would do when armies would return. They would, they'd lay their cloaks down and they'd celebrate that Jesus was coming in But as he approached the city, as he moved up toward the gate of, of, of the temple, he wept. Jesus wept. What, what manner of king is this? Many of them wanted to have someone who would come in as an insurrectionist, the zealots and others who had been fighting against the Rome 
the Roman power and the Roman authority. Rome was in there taxing them and taking, taking their, their land and doing all kinds of things to serve those who were in power. So many of the people wanted this to be a major insurrection. So when Jesus comes in, many of them thought, this is it. This is our time. This is our opportunity to set up a first century state of Israel without Roman power. Why? Because the king is coming. This is what Zechariah said the Messiah would look like. This is what we're expecting. This is what we're hoping for. But did they see Jesus weep? Did they understand the weeping of Jesus in the chorus of the triumphal entry? May have been that the people just don't get it. He's not coming to set up some kind of an alternative government. This is not the Messiah that they expect. This is not what they were wanting. It's not what they were looking for. They don't know it yet. But as we all know, those who are crying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, on Thursday were crying, crucify him. Jesus was a, a grave disappointment. He was despised and rejected by all. Until the point where when he is on the cross, he's forsaken even by his father. Utterly, completely alone. And so Jesus, as he comes in, is in fact sort of zeroing out all their expectations. In other words, they're operating on the basis of a Jewish king, someone come in like David and set up a first century state. And, and someone like David, in other words, they were operating on the basis of an understood precedent. They had a category in their thinking for what the Messiah would look like based on their history. And they already knew what a domination system like Rome looked like and felt like. They knew they didn't want that, but they wanted that king like David to come in. But that's not what Jesus was coming to do. He wasn't going to be an alternative to Rome. He was going to be something utterly new. He not only grounds out all their expectations, he grounds out, he zeroes out their faith. Because their faith has been rooted or grounded in some sort of an expectation of a political hero. Someone who would come in and, and establish a government where they'd get their land back. Where everything would be returned to some sort of a normal like they had it way back when. But even that Jesus says no. The next morning, he and the disciples come into the temple. They go to the outer court of the temple. 
And that is where all the Roman money had to be exchanged for Hebrew money and where they would buy sacrificial animals for the sacrifice for the Passover. Jesus came in, took some of the ropes off the necks of animals, plated it into a whip, and drove them out, knocking over the tables, driving out the animals, creating all this chaos, screaming and squawking and braying and mooing and all of the animals and all the people. That enterprise of the temple was worth something, it is estimated, something in the, in the neighborhood of $15 million of income for the temple. That was it. That was the last straw. Jesus said, you've turned my father's house into a marketplace, a flea market. This is to be a house of prayer for all nations. Well, that didn't matter. Jesus, as far as the religious leadership, the temple leadership, and they were not that religious. This was about power. It wasn't about faith. They were done. And the people didn't know what to think. And so they went along. They went along with the narrative of the temple. Went along with the narrative of Rome. And it was better than one man die than the nation be crushed by Roman power. And so we're left, going into Thursday, we're left with nothing. We don't have a, we don't have a great new hero who's going to come in and throw out the Romans. We don't have that. This man has turned out to be a loser. We have nothing. In other words, they had a floor, a foundation to their expectation. And what Jesus did is he took even that foundation away, the foundation of their Jewishness, the foundation of their history. Even that has been undone. And they're left with nothing. And so what must they do? They simply go to that which they know. That which they know was Rome, the life as they knew it, the life as they'd been taught. But what Jesus was bringing in, as he said before Pilate, was not of this world. It wasn't something that there was any precedent to. There was no antecedent to what was unfolding before them. And so what needed to happen in the hearts and lives of people is that they needed an entire new be- entirely new beginning, a whole new origin, a whole new start. As Jesus put it to Nicodemus, you need to be born again, born all over again, have a whole new beginning. 
See, what God does in Christ is he, he goes beneath all, um, all human thought, all human aspirations, all conjurings of religion and, and religiosity. He leaves us with absolutely nothing. Let's face it, all of our religions are made up. They're all made up. Our faith is not. But it's made up that I wear this robe. This is made up. This is a human construct. And we have our table and candles and all this sort of thing. This is all religion. Because we have to somehow put structure on faith. So if I had no robe, if we had no table, if I had no pulpit, if we had no microphones, we could still do church. I don't know if we could do it without coffee, but we could do almost everything else. <laughs> but Jesus reminds us what this all comes down to is a personal relationship with God. And that's not religion. It's a relationship. And I've said several times up to this point, if we face it, that is the essence of human life. The middle of human life is our relationship with God. Everything else builds upon that and goes around that. I couldn't baptize Ron. I thought I'd be able to get through it. But I heard his story. And a, a story of sweet humility and an awakening that God was somehow speaking to him and bringing him along. And then things came together. And nothing else mattered except that he came one and one, face to face with the Father through Jesus Christ. And when I hear stories of faith like that, when I know that those are the, the final, ultimate, central realities of human life, I can't keep it in. And so it is for all of us. The central reality is that Jesus rides into Jerusalem, not so that he might set up a new kingdom there with all of them, but that he might ride into our hearts and be one with us. You bow with me in prayer. Thank you, O Lord, that in this life, there really is nothing that we should cling to beyond you. You give us so many good gifts, and we are grateful for those things, but ultimately, it is to your hand, your hand alone, that we cling. And it is that hand that leads us home leads us to where we need to be. 
as a fellowship and a people according to your will. Thank you, O Lord, for your grace and your goodness to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.naplescommunitychurch.org. If you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day.